Hi there, I'm Carly Kloss, and this is TechSetters Podcast, hosted by the brilliant Samantha Weiner and Jenny Wang, made possible by our friends at If Then. If Then is founded on the belief that if we support a woman in STEM, then she can change the world. This series is about telling the human stories behind our greatest innovations, inspiring open conversations with the very people changing our world through tech. In every episode, Jenny and Sam meet the most game-changing COOs and CTOs, founders and engineers, inventors and mentors, showing that behind so many of our favorite products are women just like us, dreaming of new ways to connect, create, and experience the world around us. Here at Codus Classy, we've realized that you can't be what you can't see, and telling these stories has the power to inspire, motivate, and change the world, turning every one of you listeners into a future legendary guest. This week, TechSetters features an exceptional woman whose work elevates those building the future. Her joint venture, Hashtag Angels, is built on the philosophy that sometimes venture investment is personal, and sometimes it's a group effort. Jana Messerschmidt's credentials include investor, advisor, board member, and operator. Alongside her business partner, Jessica Verilli, she's a founding partner of Hashtag Angels, with investments ranging from Carta, OpenSea, Levery, SnackPass to Threads, and many more. Jana offers her insight into the world of tech startup venture capitalism, as well as their personal stories of making the world a better, more empowered place. It's an excellent episode. Dig in and enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I was so excited that we were able to get you into season two. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is so fun and such a delight. We're so excited today to talk to you about your journey, especially into the world of angel investing. Angel investing has historically had a high barrier to entry. Can you talk about what are some of the challenges you encountered when you first started angel investing? And how has that shaped the way that you've structured hashtag angels? People have asked us how we got started with hashtag angels, because I think it's really hard when you are trying to get started as an angel investor, because you don't have an investing track record. Maybe you do or maybe you don't have a platform to talk about it. So like, how do you get that flywheel going? And the way that we thought about it when we first launched was because so much of an angel investing is backing people, we were like, we're going to draw from our operating networks. And so across the six of us, you know, obviously we had the Twitter network, which has been amazing. And we backed quite a few founders that have come out of Twitter. We also had Google. We also had Netflix. Eventually we had Slack. So we basically had like a pretty good broad reach into just people that we knew who we thought were awesome, who were starting companies. So that's like the thing I would say to like get started is figure out who are the people you know that are going to like run through every wall and like who could potentially be founders. And like those are going to probably be the first people you back. The next thing I would say is befriend some other angel investors, like people who are investing in areas that you like, people whose track records you really respect and become friendly with them because angels send each other deal flow. So like I have to give a shout out like Alad Gill, um, who's just been a prolific angel investor. He's in like 
a zillion great companies. He was amazing when we first got started. He sent us several just awesome companies. So find those other angels out there in the ecosystem who will send you some great deal flow and also like who you would be comfortable sending great deal flow to. Because it is, you know, you do end up kind of like sending things back and forth. Um, The third thing I would say is get to know some institutional investors who you like and respect. So if you're doing things at the earliest stages, get to know the great pre-seed and seed investors. So another shout out, um, first round capital, when we launched hashtag angels, they proactively reached out to us, uh, Finn Barnes, um, who's amazing. And he was just like, Hey, I would love to help you guys. Like, you know, what can I do? I'll send you some deal flow. Like, would love to see what you're seeing. And so it just started this like amazing relationship where he started sending us some really great things and vice versa. And after we'd been doing this for about a year, then you started to see that the founders that we had actually already backed, they're like, you're really helpful. So the founders that we had backed started sending us deal flow. So like if you look at that pie chart of deal flow, it definitely continues to shift like the longer you've been doing it. Now we get so much deal flow from the founders we've already backed. Where in the early days, that was obviously a very small, small piece of the pie. But it will change as you get more and more embedded into the ecosystem. I mean, your portfolio speaks for itself from Coinbase to Clubhouse to Cameo, Bird, Airtable, Sarah Flint, Instacart. All of these investments just show the impact that you've had on the ecosystem and how your thesis and strategy has really played out. So taking a step back to the beginning of your journey, you studied computer engineering at UIUC And your career has gone down both engineering and business paths. So how did you first get interested in entrepreneurship and what were some of your earliest memories of STEM? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. So I grew up in this like really tiny town. It's called Manitou, Illinois. It's population like 1500. It is like in the exact middle of the state of Illinois. Mom was a school teacher and my dad worked at Caterpillar, which was headquartered in Peoria, Illinois. So I was not surrounded by STEM whatsoever. Um, but both of my parents always were very, very encouraging of, you know, you seem like you really like math and science. Like maybe you should do something in math and science. And so I was super, super fortunate. Um, My dad was also a veteran. I got a full tuition scholarship um, through a Children of Veterans program to go to UIUC. And UIUC happens to have a great engineering program. And so this will sound like kind of crazy, but given that I didn't know anybody in STEM, I didn't know anybody who had studied like CS or engineering, I literally picked it out of like the course catalog. And I was like, I'm super interested in knowing how electronics work. I've always loved gadgets. I've always loved, you know, computers, which back in the day, like, you know, was like a modem connection to the internet. Um, So I think I want to go figure out how the actual like underlying hardware of computers work. And that's how I candidly just stumbled into computer engineering as opposed to going into CS. And I remember showing up freshman year at UIUC 
Um, you know, we didn't have like AP classes or anything like in, you know, the small school where I had grown up. And I was woefully underprepared. Like <laughs> there were so many things that um, I was very, very behind on. But, you know, I think like just a testament of like, you know, trying to kind of like run through walls. It was like, okay, I've got a lot of catch up to do. And so, you know, there were a lot of all-nighters pulled in like the Granger Engineering Library. Um, I surrounded myself with some incredibly strong lab partners um, throughout engineering who, you know, had already maybe taken some of the classwork and things in high school and, you know, just kind of like persevered through the major. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm the best coder, out there. There are people who are far stronger. And I think I realized that when I was a junior in college, I had done an engineering internship like my sophomore year. And then my junior year, I ended up doing a co-op with a consulting firm um, with Ernst & Young. And I ended up being on three projects over, I think, the eight or nine month program that I was in. Two of them were coding and engineering focused, and one was more on the business side of things. And I was working on a pursuit team. And so we were trying to win the business of a new prospective client. And it was like this first like moment of like, even though I understand coding, even though I'll graduate with my engineering degree, there's a whole slew of different things you can do in a post-college world with a deep understanding of technology. And it doesn't necessarily mean probably that I'm going to spend my entire career coding. So that was kind of like the first moment that I like opened up my eyes and I was like, okay, actually there's a whole slew of things I can do post-college. And you were able to exercise your rigorous background in engineering and technology, but also your skill set and learnings in business when you joined Netflix and Twitter early on. So can you tell us a bit about what that was like joining these two legendary companies early in your career and growing within them to more senior roles? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, um, so I have this general philosophy on consumer companies. Um, so whether joining a consumer company or investing in consumer companies, which is, you know, you have the hope that it will go truly mainstream and that it will be broadly applicable to whatever that that market is that they're going after. And I remember right before I joined Netflix, Netflix had just launched um, what, what what is now the Roku um, box. It's actually a spin-out um, hardware product. And it was their first foray into how you were going to stream content into the living room. And we had tried doing this at a company that I was at prior called DivX, which was a codec company. But candidly, like the timing was just a little too early for us to actually like make this happen. But with Netflix, there was a whole slew of reasons why I believed in like the why now, um, as we like to call it in investing. The hardware was cheap. Broadband availability and speeds in homes were much higher. People had Wi-Fi, so you didn't have to like hardwire devices to get your, your content. And then Netflix actually had the deep pockets to go out and license legitimate content. And so I was like, okay, even though this didn't work a few years ago, I think like the timing could be now. So um, I sent my dad a Roku player. 
because my dad is like very mainstream America. Um, you know, growing up like near Peoria, Illinois, there's this saying, if it plays in Peoria, it can play anywhere. And so I was like, let's test this out on my dad. And like, let's see if he can grok getting the Roku set up and getting himself streaming content. And he called me about 10 minutes after he opened up that Roku and he already had content streaming. And he's like, this is the greatest thing ever. And I was like, okay, my dad can do this. Like this is going to have broad mass like appeal pretty quickly. So I've kind of always like used that as a litmus test when looking at consumer stuff of just like, is this going to play in Peoria? Um, and I actually talked to a lot of my friends from college and high school and family members quite a bit about different ideas to see what they think. I love that. So you've been a part of early stage companies that I'm sure have been full of their own triumphs and setbacks. Can you talk about a time where you felt like you had made the wrong decision and doubted yourself and how you navigated that experience? So many. I mean, everything in these crazy startups. It's like ups and downs and ups and downs. But I definitely had this moment. So for me, leaving Netflix um, was one of the hardest decisions I've made in my career. I just I love the people. I love the culture. And the company was growing like crazy um, and has continued to grow like crazy over the last decade. And I had an opportunity to join Twitter. And um, I think Twitter was probably about 150. 50 employees. So, you know, I mean, it definitely had main, this was 2010. So it definitely had like mainstream pop culture appeal and celebrities and influencers and things were starting to use it. Um, but it was still very early. Like there wasn't a business model. Um, you know, the, the site barely stayed up. Um, you know, we had the fail whale back in the day. Um, that was like basically Twitter always crashing. And so, you know, I definitely knew that I was leaving like a really well-oiled, like high growth machine of Netflix to come into like the chaos and, you know, madness of a startup. But I remember those first few months that I joined Twitter, this would have been like 2011 growth kind of like stalled for a moment. And we had all sorts of like reliability and stability issues. Um, I had come from an environment where, you know, we did extensive A-B testing and like extensive rigorous analysis on how people used our products and all that data then led to like how we made decisions about the business. And like Twitter had like none of that <laughs> like at all. And so I definitely had this moment of like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Um, you know, and I, I felt like confident I could go back to Netflix if I wanted to, but I was like, but there's just so much like green space ahead for Twitter. Like, what could it be? And like, could I have a hand in shaping it and fixing some of the things that were broken? So, you know, I think like generally speaking, I would just encourage people of like, even when like things seem really rocky, it's just, can you have an ability to impact or influence making it better? Like, is your voice going to help? Like, are your skills going to help? You know, is the company, do you respect the other people um, working around you that you think they're going to be able to make changes and make fixes? And that was one of the things with Twitter I definitely felt, which is like, okay, even things were a bit chaotic and broken. Like, we had some amazing, amazing people that were working there. 
So like we just had to go and figure it out. I guess one quick follow-up to that is that now on the flip side, there are more startups than ever. And as an investor, you must feel FOMO when you're not invested in a company or missing out on something when you're operating in a company. How do you deal with that? Oh gosh, it's so hard. And everyone tells you this, but you don't really feel it until you've been investing long enough. But everyone's like, oh, you'll have a slew of like misses, meaning not like the companies you bet on that didn't work out, the companies that you looked at that did work out. <laughs> and so definitely now, you know, six, seven years into investing, we have that list of our misses. And anytime like the new fundraising comes out, like I'll give a perfect example of Chime. We looked at Chime, I think it was at the seed or the seed extension, we passed. And every time like their valuation goes up, we're masochists and we bump up the email thread and like we do the math of like, oh my gosh, like why did we not invest in this? What can we learn from this? So I think like every investor has that for sure. I think every operator has that where it's like, you know, maybe you had a few different great companies that you were picking from and you picked the wrong one. And that's okay. Like careers are so long in the valley. I think ultimately most people will find something great that works for them, but everyone will have FOMO and everyone will have a slew of misses just as probably even longer than their wins. Well, thank you for that. I feel like we all need that reassurance sometimes when it feels like we're not sure if we made the right decision. So really appreciate that. I think it's always important like to go back and like look at your framework. How did you make the decision? Is there something to be learned from it? So like a really great example is, um, you know, during COVID, you saw businesses that maybe were flat all of a sudden explode. You saw businesses that were exploding all of a sudden, you know, contract significantly. So I think like when you look then at your framework of like, should have I invested in that company or gone to work at that company? I am guessing that very few people in their frameworks had global pandemic as something that was on the horizon, right? So you can beat yourself up on, you know, why did I miss that? Or how did this happen? But the reality is, is there are a ton of things that just are outside of anyone's control or anybody's ability to predict things, especially like when you look at founders. Founders are very unpredictable. People are very unpredictable. So there are always going to be things where it's just like you could have the best framework, the best like judgment. You could write the most extensive deal memo. You could talk to every person in the industry. You're still going to miss things. Having that perspective on understanding there are certain things beyond your control is so important for being able to trust yourself and trust your own growth. One of my favorite questions to ask every episode is what is one piece of actionable advice that you'd like to share with our audience? I think generally focus on your networks, focus on your relationships and focus on learning. Because if you're continuing to do all of those things, great opportunities will generally arise. I think that stagnation, meaning you're not growing your networks, you're not growing your relationships, or you're just not adding new types of skills, all of those things will lead to a career that's much more stagnant. But if you're constantly growing those other things, then a lot of interesting things will arise. That's incredible. And I feel like hashtag angels 
has inspired a lot of other women to form syndicates or groups to begin investing and pay it forward to help founders like you have. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that you all are doing this. And I think that just giving people, especially women out there who are looking at careers in STEM, giving them a full picture of all of the different opportunities and things that can come from this industry, I think are just like, it's, it's great for people to have that exposure. Um, I mean, I know growing up, I had no idea what venture capital was. I had no idea what investing was. So if you would have asked me, like if this was where I would end up, I would not have been able to ever, ever predict that. Um, and, you know, I think it's just like, there's so many amazing opportunities that can come out of having this STEM background um, and opportunities. So I'm glad you guys are doing this. Mm-hmm. So Jana, every episode, we have a round of bite-sized questions, kind of like computer bite. And the first one is, how do you begin your morning to start the day off energized? The first thing that I do to start off my morning is drink a huge cup of coffee. <laughs> like, I wouldn't even say I've normally been a big coffee person, but definitely post kids, like I have a huge cup of coffee. And then the next thing that I do is, is I am obsessed with this type of Pilates called Legree Pilates. Like it is Pilates on crack. It's like the hardest workout ever. I think I've been doing it now for about six years and It does not matter how often you go. It doesn't matter like how long you've been doing it. That's definitely like a great way to start most days because it gives you that energy boost and also that feeling of like, okay, if I just made it through the most intense workout ever, I can go do anything. So what's one class every college student should take? I did my undergrad in computer engineering at University of Illinois. And even though I do not code frequently, I'm not a chip designer, I just think that learning the basics of computer architecture, of logic, of discrete mathematics, I just think all of those things are just so, so, so helpful in terms of giving you really logical thinking. If this then what? It can help you, whether you're writing term sheets on the business side of things, whether you're writing product specs, whether you're a lawyer writing contracts, just really good thinking, I think, for anyone to learn. Taking a computer science course is definitely what we like to hear at TechSetters. Who is a female founder you admire? I have to say that one of the most tenacious, gritty founders that I've ever gotten to back and ever gotten to work closely with is a woman named Tammy Sun. She is the founder of a company called Carrot, which is in the fertility space. And she has just iterated and persevered. And it's just been so impressive to see what her grit has enabled her to do. For me as an investor, it really was such a good reminder of looking for founders who have that grit and looking for founders who are just going to run through any wall because she's had to do that time and time again. And she just keeps kicking ass. Who's a mentor in tech that has helped you grow? One of the most transformative pieces of my career was the time I spent at Netflix. It really changed my thinking about how you build companies, how you hire and how you really set people up to do their most 
incredible, impactful work. So the handful of people there, um, my boss was a guy I'd actually worked with prior in my career is a guy named Bill Holmes. He's the chief business officer. He's still there, but really, I think just taught me how to be a thoughtful and productive negotiator and really focus on building like great win-win relationships with partners. What are some new spaces in technology that you hope our listeners will build cool products in? I've kind of been obsessed with this idea of productivity for people's personal lives, especially when you're in multiplayer mode, which basically means like you have a family, but I don't think anything is like quite nailed it yet. So I'll call it like the family operating system. Another area which I think is really interesting is elder care. And so you've got this whole like tech enabled generation now. And there is a lot, I think, that you know, when you get to the point of having to help like take care of your parents, I think that there's a lot that tech will be able to enable and empower there. And especially since now you've got a base of people who really already understand how to use smartphones. And then, you know, I generally really like the media and entertainment space. I mean, I was at Netflix, I was at Twitter, I've invested in a lot of social media companies and gaming companies. I'm really interested in kind of like what this next generation of social and gaming is going to look like. And, you know, I think there are so many interesting lessons learned from a lot of the big platforms that exist on some of the healthy behaviors and unhealthy behaviors that we've seen stem from people having, you know, basically a high majority of their lives online. (laughs) And I think that this next generation will take a lot of those lessons and hopefully build even healthier products that, you know, won't have some of the, the downfalls that the older platforms have had. And, you know, I think also having been at one of those platforms really early, a lot of the big tech platforms just weren't ready for how they were used and in some cases abused. Even though we knew like there are societal issues, I think we were far too altruistic on how these platforms could be used to connect and empower people. And the reality is, is like we were caught a little flat footed, I think, to, to how some of them have been used today. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Somebody told me about just how small the tech world is. And I realized, like, of course, it continues to get bigger and bigger. And, you know, there's so much innovation happening. But the tech world is really small. And so when you're working at a company, you should actually, like, really pause and really get to know the amazing people that you're working around. Because those people could potentially become your future colleagues, your future bosses. Maybe they're your future recruits when you're the boss, but really invest in relationships. So my first few jobs that I had, I landed through like postings or through college recruitment. But after those first like two, everything has come from relationships of people that I've worked with before. You know, that's where just a lot of opportunities will spring from is from that network. I also think it just makes it a more enjoyable journey along the way. It's something Jenny and I talk about all the time, being able to have that sense of camaraderie and support going through your work or your job or knowing people in different places just for that sanity check feels so nice. I could not have said that better, Sam. (laughs) Lastly, Jana, what is the elevator pitch for what you do at Hashtag Angels? So Hashtag Angels is an investment collective. 
And it's six of us. We have all held and currently hold executive roles at fast-growing tech companies. So basically, it's like tapping into a little mini executive team across all of the functional areas. And I think more broadly than that, like we hear time and time again from our founders that especially compared to the check sizes or the ownership that we have, we're the most helpful people on the cap table. So we generally just care. Like we, you know, pick up the phone, we respond to the emails, we do the work in addition to writing the check. That's incredible. And I feel like Hashtag Angels has really inspired a lot of other women to form syndicates or groups where they can also begin investing in companies and offer that type of advice to founders. Yeah. You know, it's funny when we started the group, it started over cocktails because of course that's how a lot of things start. (laughs) It was post Twitter IPO and it was the first time any of us felt like we had the money to dabble in one of the highest risk asset classes, which is angel investing. Um, Because of course, you know, the stats, you know, so few of these companies will actually go on to make it um, as standalone companies or as, as good acquisitions. And, you know, candidly, we had seen a lot of our male peers, angel investing. And we were like, wait a second, like, you know, we've got the capital, like we've got the, you know, experience, the seniority, the expertise, like we need to get out there and we need to get into the deal flow. So we basically drafted a medium post because once you put it on medium, it's official. And we just like launched it out into the world. It was actually, I think two weeks after I had my first daughter and we basically said, we're hashtag angels, we're angel investors, we're open for business. And like, We have, you know, all of this operating experience across the six of us. And this was back, I'm trying to remember, I think it was either, no, let's see, it would have been 2015. And, you know, I think like the industry was just kind of first starting to wake up to the fact that there weren't a lot of women in investing decision-making roles. And so um, the, you know, kind of broader like tech media ecosystem took note when we launched this blog post. And so we got, you know, some great initial press of people saying like, oh my gosh, like these six women at Twitter are doing this. And we immediately got the question of, are you only going to back female founders? Or are you only going to back like products that serve female audiences? And what we said was, hey, like we actually are just starting to do this. Um, and when we have things to share with you about our diversity stats, we'll report back. But our goal is just to back the absolute like best companies and best people we can find. And so here we are now, six and a half years later, and we've invested in over 100 companies. And I think about 40% of our companies have a female founder, female CEO. So, you know, I think the numbers, you know, really speak for themselves of like, there's just so much incredible female founder talent out there and founders that are building really ambitious, like huge game changing businesses. And so we're, we're proud that the, the stats, um, you know, speak for themselves. Thank you so much, Jana, for joining us on the podcast. I was so happy that we were able to get you in on season two. Well, thank you so much, Jana, for leading the way for us here. It's been incredible having you on Tech Setters with us today. We can't wait to chat again soon. Tech Setters is a Code with Classy podcast powered by If Then. If we can empower a woman in STEM, 
Then she can change the world.